the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi, everybody. Great to be with you. Great to be back with you. Carl Jackson, right, did a great job. I, I know he did a great job. I don't even have to ask. I was in Colorado, and I'm back now, next week in Denver, for a day for uh, for my station, KNUS, Cigar Night. This is the new thing of stations to have me for Cigar Nights. And a lot of women come, because... They feel, which I am flattered by, it is worth braving cigar smoke uh, to uh, be with me uh, in person. So good. I, I, I agree with that, by the way. And a lot of women don't care about cigar smoke. Cigarette smoke is offensive. You know what the hardest thing for me to do in preparing for today's show is how to control my, my anger over the student loan dictatorial statement directive of this horrible human being who is president of the United States. If, let me put it to you this way, I guess I won't be controlling my anger, I may be controlling my tone. (laughs) If Joe Biden were to be given a list of things he could do to terribly hurt this country, it would not differ from what he has done. I cannot think of what he could do to damage this country that he hasn't done or is preparing to do. I never said that about any Democrat in office. It didn't even occur to me. And Barack Obama did a lot of damage. Just look at all the military brass that he fired. He purged the military of its most competent leaders. But I'll leave Barack Obama out of it right now. Do you remember the New York Daily News headline? Uh, What was it? Uh, Bush to New York... Um, go to hell. Remember that is a famous, famous headline or infamous. So we have Biden to responsible Americans. Last laughs on you, sucker. You paid you off your loan? What a sucker. All you needed to do was get a Democrat in office. The 
the immorality of this act is breathtaking, just breathtaking. Tucker Carlson made a very fine point. It's the colleges that ought to be paying back the loans. It's in our video. Should we start with the video? Just, uh, you have it, Sean? That was an odd response. He looked at me wide-eyed, and then he nodded. You have the PragerU video? On loan forgiveness is at Okay. All right. So we'll have it in a moment. Two weeks ago, PragerU put out a video on, on student loans. It, it is worth hearing. It's only five minutes. All the videos are five minutes. The, the, do you understand? He's, of course, there's no such thing as the government or he, the president, are forgiving the loans. You and I are paying for the loans for all of the college students who didn't pay their loans. Get it? Why? What, what moral defense is there for taking the money from people, A, who have paid their loans, B, who never went to college, C, paid off their tuition and didn't take a loan? What is the morality of having them pay for the college education of some family that took out a loan and didn't repay it? Boy, would I love to hear from any of you who think that this was a moral act. About $300 billion. Another $300 billion. That's it. What does it mean? What they do is they constantly bombard you with the dictatorial ambitions of Donald Trump who had no dictatorial ambitions. All the dictatorial ambitions are on the left, all of them, 100%. Conservatives want smaller government. By definition, they don't want to be dictators. But if you scream enough with the New York Times on your side and NPR and CBS and NBC and ABC and all the others, if you scream enough that the earth is flat, the earth becomes flat. If you scream enough that gender doesn't exist, it's made up by every individual, then people believe it. There, the summary of what he's trying to do. I, I don't understand how he can do it. I don't understand how a president of the United States can constitutionally do this. The, this is what the Constitution says. No money shall be drawn from the treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law. So tell me, what, uh, what justifies his doing this? What, what, what makes it legal? It's not moral. What makes it even legal? Without any legislation, Joe Biden now promises to cancel up to $10,000 in student loans per borrower, $20,000 for Pell Grant borrowers, limited to those with annual incomes of less than $125,000. Yeah. 
Who? Well, that's right. Who makes over $125,000 with a student who has a student loan? It should also be stressed, this is from The Federalist, that capping loan forgiveness to those making under $125,000 means absolutely nothing because most borrowers are at the beginning of their careers and have yet to enjoy the durable benefits of a college degree. The average worker with a bachelor's degree ends up making on average a million dollars more in their careers those with graduate degrees, 2 to $3 million more than a worker with a high school diploma. And yet the Biden administration is going to compel truck drivers and clerks without college degrees to pay the loans of white-collar workers on their way to six-figure salaries. Why do people with graduate degrees make 2 to $3 million more? There's only one reason. It's because employers still look favorably upon college and graduate degrees when in the vast majority of cases they're completely unnecessary. Well, yeah, you're talking about lawyers and doctors. Oh, no, lawyers and doctors, yes, of course. Yeah, then that's what they should say. I know they should. They, they should just name the profession. Right. At the rate doctors are going, they're not going to be paid this much. They're, they're now employees. Doctors are, are becoming employees. This is another tragedy. One of the reasons that the medical profession is, has become sheep is that they're afraid of being fired. When doctors were entrepreneurs, Americans were healthier. The doctor worked for himself. That's gone. Well, it's not fully gone. It's disappearing. So here is uh, Inez Stepman senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum, PragerU video, two weeks ago. It's hard to imagine how we could screw up higher education any more than we already have, but we're about to if we make student loan forgiveness a reality. There's a Latin phrase that helps explain why. The phrase is qui bono, who benefits. In the case of student loan forgiveness, it's first and foremost the colleges and universities who can charge outrageous tuition largely paid for by student loans. Second, politicians who make cheap promises of debt forgiveness to win votes. And third, students from upper middle class families who would get taxpayers to pay off their student debt. Who doesn't benefit? Everyone else. That includes those who didn't go to college and a new class of suckers, people who went to college and paid off their student loans. Student loan forgiveness is a reverse Robin Hood. It takes from the poor and gives to the rich. Yeah, we'll be back in a moment. Every word is so clear and and so to the point. One eight Prager seven seven six. The Dennis Prager Show. You did your best to prepare for retirement, but with today's staggering inflation, living on a fixed income is scary. Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian at Sierra Pacific Mortgage know exactly what you're going through, and they've helped many seniors find a way to keep their retirement safe with the help of a reverse mortgage. Now, it's not right for everyone, but a reverse mortgage could be a lifesaver and provide the peace of mind you need. With money to pay bills, help family members take that bucket list vacation or whatever you need. Get started at andrewandtodd.com, andrewandtodd.com. They'll explain what a reverse mortgage is, answer all of your questions honestly, and see if it's right for you. I trust Andrew and Todd. 
I believe you can too. Go to andrewandtodd.com. Your home's equity is at a high right now. It's a great time to maximize your reverse mortgage opportunity. Investigate it before it's too late. Go to andrewandtodd.com. That's andrewandtodd.com. A reminder, this is the final week of fundraising because it's the final week of August. For PragerU, this is a perfectly good example of the clarity and power of the videos. This is on student loans, and it just came out two weeks ago, as if PragerU knew what was going to happen in two weeks. This is all you need to show somebody. Qui bono? Who benefits? Exactly the question. Colleges benefit. The students who are wealthy, wealthier benefit. And uh, what was the third? She had three, three groups that benefit. Well, we'll start it again because I want to memorize that. Huh? Politicians. Oh, yeah, the politicians who, who buy your vote. Has there ever been a more obvious example than the, the great dilemma of democracy? People will vote for those who give them money much sooner than for people who won't give them money? And they talk about the end of democracy, the death of democracy because of Republicans? It's gaslighting on steroids. So we can't continue with the video. I just want to remind you that whatever you give till August 31st is tripled. We have donors who will triple whatever you give. Got to help the fighters, my friends. Got to help the fighters. Can't do nothing. We owe it to those who suffered and died for for liberty to fight for it now. PragerU.com, 833-PragerU. We continue with the PragerU video on student loans. It's hard to imagine how we could screw up higher education any more than we already have, but we're about to if we make student loan forgiveness a reality. There's a Latin phrase that helps explain why. The phrase is qui bono, who benefits. In the case of student loan forgiveness, it's first and foremost the colleges and universities who can charge outrageous tuition largely paid for by student loans. Second, politicians who make cheap promises of debt forgiveness to win votes. And third, students from upper middle class families who would get taxpayers to pay off their student debt. Who doesn't benefit? Everyone else. That includes those who didn't go to college and a new class of suckers, people who went to college and paid off their student loans. Student loan forgiveness is a reverse Robin Hood. It takes from the poor and gives to the rich. The most obvious argument against forgiving student debt is that no one forced anybody to borrow money for college. Why then should others be forced to pay it off? Before you think I'm gonna go all tough love on you, let me say, I have a lot of sympathy for young people who have dug themselves into the student debt hole. I'm one of them. For decades, our society has made the claim that you need a college degree to get ahead in life, and that the smart bet was to take out any amount of loans to ensure a bright future. And if you need help with the tuition, Uncle Sam, the U.S. government, stands at the ready with his generous student loan programs. Just fill out a few forms, and presto, there's a check in your mailbox. You're off to college. But here's the dirty secret. For every dollar of student loan money the government makes available, university tuition goes up by 60 cents. Colleges and universities don't see college loans as a problem, they see a gravy train. Most college administrators may be cowards ready to cave before every politically correct fad, but they're not dumb. 
If the government is going to loan you money to go to college, they can raise tuition virtually at will. You can afford it, just borrow more. And what do the universities do with all that tuition money? Build more buildings, hire more administrators. Hey, somebody has to pay for all those diversity, equity, and inclusion officers, right? Qui bono. Meanwhile, you stagger out of college with a degree and a boatload of debt to pay off to get the same job and salary that a decade ago didn't require a bachelor's. What a great way to start off your adult life. If you fit that profile, you're very likely to favor student loan forgiveness. And who can blame you? With a simple stroke of a pen, some or all of your debt goes away like it was never there. And the least you can do in return is vote for the politicians who made it possible. At least that's how the politicians see it. Qui bono. But who's going to pay for your good fortune? The taxpayers, of course. The most modest debt relief proposal out there right now, $10,000 per borrower, would cost $300 billion. To wipe it all out, $1.8 trillion. And a lot of those taxpayers will be working-class people who didn't go to college, in many cases because they didn't want to take on all the debt. That's why despite easy student loan access from the government, people in the lower and middle classes make up a smaller percentage of college students than they did 50 years ago. The reality is that loan forgiveness would overwhelmingly benefit the already well-off. It's projected that for every dollar of debt cancellation that would go to the lower middle class and impoverished student loan holders, seven times that would go to the top 20% of earners, the lawyers, accountants, and doctors who borrowed heavily for their degrees. This group also includes the people who staff government bureaucracies, corporate HR departments, and school administrations, the people chiefly responsible for the woke mini-revolutions upending institution after institution. For this managerial class, student loan forgiveness would be great. But is it fair? Qui bono. Student debt is a real problem, and it requires some real solutions. But blanket loan forgiveness makes everything worse and rewards exactly those actors who have had such a large hand in creating the crisis, especially the opportunistic universities and politicians. Instead, we should focus on three common sense reforms. One, reduce college tuition and availability of student loan funds going forward. We have to break the vicious cycle of ever-increasing tuition and ever-increasing government loans to pay for it. Two, we should target limited relief to lower and middle-class Americans who have been sold a bill of goods about the value of an expensive university degree, not the lawyers, accountants, and bureaucrats who have already benefited from the system. Three, relief should come from rich universities, not middle-class taxpayers. Yale, for example, has a $42 billion endowment. Universities have taken advantage of the problem, and it's time for them to contribute to the solution. Qui bono? I'm Inez Stepman, Senior Policy Analyst at Independent Women's Forum for Prager University. Thank you for watching. Well, boy, I'll tell you, <laughs> that, that's, it was like she made it today. Yeah. What a scam. College is a scam. For what did she say? Thirty-two or forty-two billion dollars? Yale. Yale. Forty-two billion. Harvard has more. Yeah. Yale's a cesspool. Harvard is not there yet. Harvard Harvard's woke, but not but not like uh, Yale. And Princeton. By the way, I want that I want that professor who they kicked out after twenty-five years. One of the most prestigious. Princeton professors. I read his piece on the plane on the, in the Wall Street Journal. We have to have him on. Okay. That that, uh, that story 
what was done to this man and how his colleagues were, were, were thugs at Princeton. Wow, everybody, wow. So Yale gets a, gets a, a handout from the government, $42 billion endowment. What a president, eh? Oh, but Trump. Can't vote for Trump. Back in a moment. The Dennis Prager Show. Towels just don't seem to dry you anymore. They feel soft and lotiony in the store, but you get them home and they don't absorb. Well, Mike Lindell at My Pillow found that out around 2006, and towels changed forever. He found the best towel company right here in the USA. They have proprietary technology to create towels that feel soft but actually work. And that happens to be true. I use them. They are all made with USA cotton, and they come with the MyPillow 60-day money-back guarantee. Six-piece set, two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths. Regularly $109.99, now $39.99. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the new radio listener specials and get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the towels, by entering the promo code PRAGER. Or call 800-761-6302 for these great radio specials. MyPillow.com, promo code PRAGER. You won't be able to buy a gas-powered car in California, according to Gavin Newsom. Democrats, again, ruining everything they touch because they're leftists, not liberals. You cannot overstate the damage that the left-wing environmentalists are doing to the world. It's not possible to overstate. And the fact that it's dishonest is proven by the fact that they oppose nuclear power. There's not enough electricity in California to cool and heat homes but there will be enough now to power every single car in California, by far the largest state. Hasn't GM announced that they're not going to even be making gas cars by 2035 or something? Where Where do we get the components from with which we make electric cars? What about the lithium battery, the 1,000-pound lithium battery in these cars? What if the grid goes down? What if, there's, uh, what if there's not much wind and not much sun? China is laughing its way to the bank, since so much of what goes into an electric car comes from China or is made in China. The suicide of the West, especially the Western United States, California, Washington, and Oregon. I mean, it's hard to imagine a greater degree of suicide of a society than in those three states. Financial aid expert in Minneapolis, is that correct? Ron, is that what you are? Yes, I am. I've been assisting families since 1990, and... A couple of things I want to pine on, and then I have a prediction for the educational system. But just want to let you know, the first day today is the Minnesota State Fair, and the temperature is only 66 degrees. 
You know, and it's very funny. <laughs> you're a very funny man. Telling me that uh, is a source of pain. <laughs> I, I I have gone to the Minnesota State Fair for the, the Patriot, growing my great station in the Twin Cities. I went. I probably went there six, seven years in a row, and it was hot as hell. Yep. Telling me it's sixty-six. <laughs> oh God! All right. What am I going to do? Yeah. Next. So I'm going to call Aunt yeah. 1280 and have them bring you up for a last-minute visit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. All right. Um, since 1990, I've been preaching. From day one, the financial aid process for many families is an unfair, in many ways, unethical process. Many families are raped by the process, and that's why I'm still in business. Um, the average family does not get all the money due them initially. And number two, with the stupid student loan forgiveness, as you well know, and what was stated in the Prairie U University video, that now the colleges have carte blanche to raise their tuition costs and other expenses. Therefore, many families who have little brainiac kids that deserve to go to a private college, whether it be for math or science, whatever, are not going to be able to afford an education. And, and these initial offers, number one, coming from these colleges, many are not fair awards, and families don't know, especially at these private colleges, because Private colleges use two, one of two different formulas in the federal methodology formula. So what's going to happen, and my prediction is, within five to ten years, by the way. No, 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 make the prediction. Within five to ten years, go on. Yeah, most of my predictions come true, because I know what I'm doing. Within five to ten years, I foresee the college financial aid process and the educational system will not be what it is today. This is going to blow up in their faces. Colleges will not get away with this crap anymore. Families are getting more savvy. Well, no this uh, I I pray you're right. I I'm doing my utmost to convince people not to send their child to college. If college were free, I would say it. But to be robbed this amount of money, except now the the Democrats have basically said, "Don't doesn't matter. Get into debt." It doesn't matter. Other other Americans will be forced. That's what it is. Other Americans are forced, as the video pointed out, to pay the, off the student debt of those who have it. What a system. And with 87,000 more IRS agents, almost the verb that comes to my mind is extort that amount of money. It is not depressing to me that Joe Biden does this, that any Democrat would do it. They're interchangeable. I happen to think he is a bad human being, but even if there were a nice human being who was a Democrat and president, it would make no difference. Ideology matters, not individuals. What depresses me is that Americans vote Democrat. That's what's depressing. Cheat or no cheat, they they do get elected. Overwhelmingly, they did get elected, those who were in office. 
people vote for Ilan Omar, under ingratitude in the dictionary is a picture of Ilan Omar, given what America did for her family from Somalia. We do have a great candidate. Had her on the show. Cicely Davis. Cicely Davis. She, she is great. Now, that's a perfect example. What is the moral rationale for voting for any Democrat, let alone Ilan Omar? I pick on her because it's, it's, the call was from Minneapolis. Vote for the Democratic Party that oversaw the destruction of most of the big cities or parts of the big cities of this country that is overseeing a a crime spike of murder and they still get elected? Uncle Tom 2 is the eye-opening documentary everyone in America should see. Dennis Prager here and Uncle Tom 2 offers a compelling and brave analysis of the true history of black America. The cultural shift from prosperity, integrity, and faith to its current perceived state of anger, discontent, and victimhood, Uncle Tom 2 offers historical footage, photos, correspondence, and data to reveal the genuine strides of black America in the 20th century, the deliberate Marxist strategy to create racial tension and replace God with government, the NAACP's sinister agenda, the fall of black Harlem, the truth behind Black Lives Matter, and the demoralization of America for political power. Don't miss Uncle Tom 2 from executive producer Larry Elder and director Justin Malone with Brandon Tatum, Vody Bacham, and Chad O. Jackson. Pre-order it today at SalemNow.com. Watch the movie on demand or buy the DVD tomorrow at SalemNow.com. That's SalemNow.com. I have so much to talk to you about that is a problem. I take one day off, and it's just the stories that I need to comment on or the subjects become a mountain. Hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. Back uh, back home after another day on the road. Every week I go somewhere. It's really uh, it's it's really fun to uh, walk through airports, and the number of young people who come over. It's uh, very touching, actually. It's not an ego thing. It's just touching. It's gratifying because it means that they're they're watching the videos or listening to the show, whatever it might be. So uh, the airport is actually a positive experience for me, which most people cannot say. At at the Los Angeles International Airport, there is a regular announcement. Regular, I would say, every half hour. That you must wear a mask. That that is L.A. County uh, rule. And it's one of the actual positive signs of life in America today. That three quarters of the people at the airport have contempt for that announcement. And that's L.A. Of course, not everybody at LAX is from L.A., obviously. You have to assume half the people are not from Los Angeles. But even even people in Los Angeles have contempt for that announcement, which is almost unique. Is there any other county in America, any other airport where it's required? I I don't know the answer to that question. I'm just just posing it. (laughs) 
It just fascinates me to watch it. I, I should make a video of it, but you don't know when it's going to come on, so you just be standing there with a video camera. I'm not even sure people hear it. It's it's like noise. It's background noise that you should wear a mask, except when actively eating or drinking. <laughs> My hope is that Los Angeles County is vaccinating people against public health announcements. That's, that's a vaccine that might work. See, once people start having contempt for so-called leaders who are worthless, that's a very good sign for a society. Uh, the contempt that most people in Los Angeles hold for its public health officials, a woman specifically named Barbara Ferrer, who uh, is is just a just a fool, a fool with a position of power. I don't know even know I don't know where she gets her power from, frankly. Why is she allowed to make? Well, she doesn't make the rule, right? Was it the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors, three to two as usual, I assume. Right. You know, I I testified once at the Los Angeles Board of Supervisors. Some of you in Los Angeles will remember it. Some of you actually attended it. When they decided to change the the L.A. County seal and remove, there was one there, symbol of Christianity on the... L.A. County Seal. Was it the mission? Was it? Was it the? I don't think it was a cross. I think it was just a mission. A picture of a mission. And it was one of the more moving days of my life when I testified at the. At, they try to sneak it through. An, a, a morning session, weekday morning session. People go to work. They announced it like a day or two before, and I said, join me to protest this at the L.A. Uh, Board of Supervisors meeting. And very many people, I don't I don't recall how many, maybe a thousand uh, of you showed up, and I'll never forget how touched I was. Maybe it was a cross. It was a cross, yeah, that's right. It was a cross, because I remember the signs that people had for Buddhists for the cross, Jews for the cross, atheists for the cross. It was such a powerful statement. And I'll never forget what I said to them. I said, you're living the Soviet. I made the parallel to the Soviet Union even then. You're living the Soviet joke the Soviet Soviet dissidents, anti-communists who lived in so, the Soviet Union used to say, in the Soviet Union, the future is known. It's the past that's always changing. And that's what you're doing. You're changing my past. I'm not a Christian, but my past, in Los Angeles, that's the name of the city, the Angels. How did it get it? From Christians, specifically Catholics in this case, who founded it. How could you remove my history? Of course, it doesn't matter. 
It was the harbinger of things to come removing history, the tearing down of the founders' statues, for example, the removing of history, taking down of Shakespeare at the University of Pennsylvania, English department, the removal of history. This is the 1619 Project, the gigantic New York Times lie about the founding of America. This is, this is, he who controls the past controls the present. I don't know if anybody ever said that. I'm sure somebody said it before I just came out with it. But it sounds like something somebody would have said. It's true, he who controls the past controls the present. And that's what they do. I opened up the show talking to you about this spit in the face of all responsible Americans. Canceling of student debt, meaning that at least $300 billion will be forcefully taken from Americans to pay for the kids who wasted their money on a college education. I say wasted because if they didn't waste their money, they could pay off their debt, correct? It's got to be one way or the other. Either they wasted their money and therefore they're saddled with debt they can't pay because they don't earn enough to pay off their debt, or they do in fact earn enough money to pay off their debt. Why are we paying their debt? The people who didn't go to college or the people who paid for college or the people who paid off their debt are now paying for the people who didn't pay off their debt. That is the world of morality on the left. Because the world of morality on the left doesn't ask, is it moral? They ask, does it get more of our people elected? And the presumption is that it will. I always forget who said it. It might have been said in ancient Rome, by the way. I'm not sure that this is even modern. That the moment people understand that they can get money as determined by whom they vote for, that is the end of the system of governance in that society. They vote for those who will give them money. But money eventually runs out, but not for the people at the present time. No money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law. That's in the Constitution. I don't even understand what gives a president the right to do this. Has he made any claim for why he has claims the right to do this? Are you aware of any? According to a new University of Pennsylvania study, between 69 and 73% of the debt forgiven accrues to households in the top 60% of the income distribution. So you folks in the bottom 40, it's a beautiful thing that you've offered to pay for the other folks. Half of college debt is held by a quarter of borrowers. Those who go to graduate school, that's the one. Half of college debt is graduate school debt. Yeah? So if you got a PhD in gender studies, we, I am now paying for your degree. 
I can't tell you the honor that I feel in doing so. The college is enriched, one of the most destructive institutions in our society, the college. And you have to pay for it. My dear friends, we're fighting at PragerU for this country and this civilization. And this is the last week of fundraising because it's, it's August. It's coming to an end. Whatever you give uh, between now and August 31st is tripled. Some donors have made that possible. I always have, uh, in, in August, once uh, once a day, I have some guests on sometimes. It's a student from Prager Force. We have 20,000 students around the world, members of it. Could be a parent who uses the material, and now it's my great delight to have the executive director of the of PragerU, who also happens to be the producer of the show, Alan Estrin. Alan, explain how it's possible to triple a donation. It's a very simple process. Is, is he? Is his mic on? I think the mic is on. Yeah, now yeah. it is. Okay. It's it's just it's a simple process. We go out and solicit donors who will just commit to saying who if you give $10 I'll 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 triple match that so the $10 is $30 or 100 is 300 or 1000 is 3000. And these are people who obviously very much believe in PragerU and what we're doing, want to help people leverage their money to make a bigger contribution than the otherwise would be the case. Every contribution is, is valuable. It's just that in this last week, it's triply valuable. PragerU has taken a lot of pride uh, in the number of people who have donated across the world, and of course, especially in America, not only people of means, in other words, people sending in ten, twenty, thirty dollars via the internet, but that number is not the same as it was a year ago. Is that correct? Well, we are, for reasons that everybody would understand, it's it's become an issue. Yeah, people are saying to us, "Look, I last year I gave fifty dollars, last year I gave a hundred dollars, but now I'm just using." Every dime I have to cover my expenses, mm-hmm. pay for gas, pay mm-hmm. for electricity. So it's it's a concern, and we're asking the, our donors who can, as it were, make up or help out those who are having a tough time to kind of fill that gap to, to do that, if they're able to do it. But I do want... Because the fight I'll, doesn't change. Right. Nothing changes in that sense. And our expenses don't change. In mm-hmm. fact, our expenses are grow every year because we're getting bigger every year. I don't know if people fully realize that just in the last 18 months, we doubled the size of PragerU because we added PragerU Kids. That's a whole nother business. We were sailing along doing all we could do just to maintain... The podcast, like the fireside chat and the five-minute videos, and now just it's 
It feels longer, but it's only been 18 months that we've added Prager U Kids, which is material, educational material for pre-K through middle school. And the reason we did it was because there was such a demand. And we understand the demand because as we see every day on, as you talk about every day on the show, the left has tunneled for the last, let's say, 50 years underneath the foundations of our society. And in the last couple of years, they've come out of those tunnels. And we've seen what they're doing and have done to our educational system. And that is not just colleges. Now it's, it's the entire system starting in pre-K. It's pre-K through post-grad. When I meet with donors, as I did in, outside of Denver yesterday, I tell them, and tell me if this is, uh, tell me if it's exactly accurate, that literally every dollar given means another viewer. Well, we've gotten very, very sophisticated over the years. We we have one of the most sophisticated marketing departments of anybody on who operates on the Internet, which is what we do. So we know through experience how much money it takes to get an additional view. And it should be noted that when we say get an additional view, we can't make anybody watch a video. We can only make people aware mm-hmm. that our material is out there. They have to click on and watch it. But just like Coca-Cola or General Motors or anybody else advertises to make people aware of their product, that's what PragerU does. And that and a big part of our effort is, is to do that. We know the videos are effective. We have a lot of data on that. Our preoccupation is making people aware that those videos, that material exists. Because if we make it, nobody sees it. What's, what's the point of making it? I... Tell people, you know, you know, I tell people obviously, but I'm I'm repeating it for those listening or viewing even that if your kid watches every one of our videos, reads all of the recommended reading, does a, a, a one or two page synopsis of each video, that is probably in the great majority of cases better than going to school. Is, is that overstating the case? From an educational point of view, there's there's no question in my mind. I I, I think you're it's a, that's totally accurate. I don't know what they teach at school anymore. Mm-hmm. We know what we're teaching, yeah, and everybody can see it. By by the way, that's one of the great things about donating to PragerU. I mean, many times one donates to good organization, but you can't see what your dollar is, as it were, mm-hmm. buying. Mm-hmm. PragerU, everything we do is on on screen. You want to see where your money's going, just go to PragerU.com and watch. Good point. Well, you're the one who came up with the idea, and I never, ever cease noting that fact. God bless you for it. Folks, whatever you give till August 31st is tripled. Please help us help America. PragerU.com, 833-PRAGERU. Here's a novel idea. Support an educational institution that actually teaches your values. Prager University. Go to PragerUniversity.com and donate today. wonder if there is a single doctor at the University of Pennsylvania Medical School who will speak out against this. 
for the first time since MCATs were developed, the medical college admissions test that being dropped for blacks and Hispanics and I don't know what other groups, but they're not not dropping it for Asians. As one of you correctly asks, who is that? Patrick in Phoenix. Good point. Thank you for for raising that. That is entirely accurate. I doubt that they'll be dropping it for Asians. They're not considered a minority. Obviously, Jews aren't considered a minority. Jews do, after all, make up 2% of the population. Are Jews 2% of the population? I don't even know if that's true. What is uh, 6 million uh, of 330? What is 6 into... So it's 1 sixth... No, 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 1 sixtieth. Yeah, 1 sixtieth. Yeah, 6 times 6. <laughs> I hate when I do this on the air. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 one sixtieth. Yeah, all right. Well, we won't we won't uh, anyway. Uh, th- th- it's it's a chosen group. On the this grotesque policy decision of the man who was president of the United States, the the contempt for the American people. A third of a trillion dollars I'm taking from you to pay off student debts. The colleges are such destructive forces in this society, ideologically, now economically. It's, it's, the corruption is so deep at, at 95% of our colleges, 98%, so deep. The collusion between the Democratic Party and the colleges, the college industrial complex, waving his baronial wand, writes the Wall Street Journal, President Biden canceled student debt for some 40 million borrowers on known authority but his own. This is easily the worst domestic decision of his presidency and makes chumps of Congress and every American who repaid loans or didn't go to college. That's right. The left regards you as a sucker. You paid off your loan, you twit. Should have waited till the Democrats got into power. No reason to, to pay off your loan. We'll take care of it for you. Just give us your soul. It's a trade with the devil to vote Democrat. About half of the borrowers won't have to make payments since their debt will be canceled. Student debt has nearly doubled since 2011 to $1.6 trillion, though the number of borrowers has increased by only 18%. Shows you how much tuition has increased. (laughs) Yes. Parents willingly pay their life savings to have their child become contemptuous of everything they hold precious. The Penn-Wharton budget model estimates that canceling $10,000 for borrowers earning up to $125,000 will cost about $300 billion. Added to what? What did the, the, the last bill that just passed because of Kamala Harris's uh, tie-breaking vote? And that was three-quarters of a trillion dollars. So now we're over a trillion dollars in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. 
But it's Putin who's responsible for inflation. That is exactly right. What is the difference between one trillion and two children? Trillion? Nothing. There is no difference. The Pell Grant addition could increase this by as much as $270 billion. (laughs) Worse than the cost is the moral hazard and awful precedent this sets. Those who will pay for this write-off are the tens of millions of Americans who didn't go to college or repaid their debt or skimped and saved to pay for college or chose lower-cost schools to avoid a debt trap. This is a college graduate bailout paid for by plumbers and FedEx drivers, many of whom will vote Democrat. Colleges will also capitalize. Yes, by the way, that's a good example. Are the unions for this? Isn't that interesting? Are the labor unions for this? I know, interesting, right? It's their workers who are getting shafted. But they're they're leftists before they're pro-worker. Colleges will also capitalize by raising tuition to capture the write-off windfall, of course. A White House fact sheet hilariously says that colleges, quote, listen to this, colleges will have an obligation to keep prices reasonable and ensure borrowers get value for their investment, not debt they cannot afford. Only a fool could believe colleges will do this. That's the Wall Street Journal. A lot of fools, unfortunately. It's important to appreciate appreciate there has never been an executive action of this costly magnitude in peacetime. Wow. That's quite a comment. Not Mr. Obama's immigration amnesties, not his clean power plan, not Mr. Trump's border wall fund diversion. Nothing comes close to this half trillion dollar or more executive coup. Yeah, wow, wow, wow. I blame everyone who votes Democrat. They are just as responsible as Biden. Just as. Everyone who votes for a Democratic senator or a Democrat to be mayor is as responsible for this as the people who are doing it. A lot of these are nice people, probably members of your family. The ability of nice people to do damage, there's a word for it, infinite. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. One of the most interesting guests I've had, and I've had many, but truly one of the most interesting is Kenneth Timmerman, who has served so many positions, I am beginning to think there's more than one Kenneth Timmerman. I'm, I'm interviewing one of them now, but if you, it's impossible for one person to have led the life that this man has led. As you will hear in a moment, and... Uh, a recollection of much of what has happened in the world in the last half century is just out, and the rest is history. Tales of hostages, arms dealers, dirty tricks, and spies. Kenneth Timmerman, welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. Thanks for having me on, Dennis. It's uh, always a pleasure to be with you. So how many of you are there? <laughs> 
Well, uh, schizophrenic only gives you two, right? So I guess I must be multipolar, not bipolar or not schizophrenic. I mean, it, it, you spent time in a Beirut prison, is that correct? Uh, I was kidnapped and held hostage in Beirut during a war in 1982, tortured, and came to Jesus and was reborn both spiritually and physically in a Beirut cellar. I didn't know that part. That's fascinating. Why were, you, in, why were you kidnapped and tortured? Uh, well, as uh, when they were beating me, they called me uh, Yahud and Jasus. And in Arabic, that means Jew and spy. So they thought I was an Israeli spy. I was a kid. I was 28 years old. And at that point, living in Paris, I was, as most of the media there, I was pro-Palestinian. So I went there to report on the Palestinians from the Palestinian side. And what they do? They kidnapped me and held me hostage for 24 days. Why would they kidnap a pro-Palestinian Western journalist? <laughs> uh, it, it's what I learned to call Lebanese logic. There's no rationality. It's just what happens. The same way that I got out of that jail when they were taking people out from underground and out into the next uh, blind alley and shooting them, there was no rationality. It was God's will. And I think it was something that tempered me. It really, it was like tempering steel. It made me grow up. I was a 28-year-old, spoiled, left-wing, pro-Palestinian, philandering fellow traveler. And it turned me into a man. And it turned me into somebody who became very pro-American, conservative, a born-again Christian Zionist. Wow. I did not know uh, this uh, part of your life. So what did they say that, they say that a it's an old joke, It's not, a, but it's not funny. It's just a joke, if there could be such a thing as an unfunny joke. What is a conservative, a liberal who was mugged? <laughs> it's, there's truth to the joke, just as there's truth to what Churchill used to say. If you're not a liberal when you're 20, you've got no heart. And if you're not a conservative at the age of 40, you've got no brain. Uh, so sometimes in those cliches, uh, uh, Dennis, we find... Profound truth. So explain to me, in a, in a nutshell, I, we could do an hour just on this, but obviously we don't have all that time. So explain to me your understanding of the profession of journalism. What has happened that it is in the low moral and intellectual state it, it finds itself? Well, first, let me just be clear. In my book and the rest of history, it's not a diatribe about the media. It's not against the media. It is my personal experience. I've right. spent... Gosh, now, 40 years listening to people, going on the ground, uh, going to different war zones, uh, listening to victims, listening to horror stories. And I think the worst that I've heard in all of my time have been either in Mosul in northern Iraq or the Nineveh Plain in northern Iraq of persecuted Christians and things that happened to them from ISIS and from jihadi Muslims. But I've spent all of this time listening to people. And that, to me, is what journalism is all about. It's shoe leather journalism. Uh, I didn't really start off as a journalist. I never thought I wanted to be a journalist. I was a novelist. Uh, I had gone to graduate school with John Hawkes, a novelist at Brown University. I went to Paris as a young man with a novel in my suitcase. I thought I was going to be Ernest Hemingway. I ran a literary journal out of Shakespeare and Company. And then something happened in 1982. I realized it was time to grow up. Uh, and I went to Beirut as a stringer for a Dutch radio station. And as I say, I was there introduced by the Palestinians. I was going to report on the Palestinian side of that war. They took me hostage. And I learned things 
I never thought I would learn. I learned about freedom. I learned the price of freedom. I learned I was willing to kill somebody, to kill somebody, to regain my freedom, something I never, ever thought I would encounter. So since the book is somewhat personal, obviously, your your life, which is an incredibly interesting one, as this interview is making clear, I am curious, how did your family and friends react to your evolution? Well, uh, I was lucky uh, uh, to meet Christina, my wife, uh, in 1986. She's Swedish, uh, and she is a ferocious individualist. We've been married now for you know well over 35 years, and she has been my faithful companion for much of this journey. Uh, I had two children beforehand, and, and that woman left me when I was in Beirut. She looked for me in the uh, morgues. Uh, she inquired in the morgues, but she never actually contacted mutual people that we knew together to try to find me alive. Uh, but Christina has been sort of the secular side of my salvation. Jesus has been the, the, the Christian, the religious side, the spiritual side, but my wife has been the secular side. Love, faith, freedom, family. And what about your the family you grew up with, I assume, like you were at that age, was liberal. How did they react to your religious and philosophical conversion? Actually, Dennis, on the contrary, my father was a uh, uh, had nearly been a career military person. Had been nineteen and a half oh. years in the military. Mm-hmm. So I revolted against him. I, I revolted see. against that during the Vietnam era. I went to Paris. We had a falling out, and it was really only after I had been kidnapped and tortured huh. and come through that experience that I reconciled with my father. What does torture do to a person? Uh, it teaches you uh, your limits, and in my case, it taught me that I could endure pain that I never could even imagine before. I had uh, feared being a coward, I suppose, uh, uh, watching World War II movies of D-Day and wondering what I would have done as an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old landing on Normandy Beach. And by the way, I went to, Nor- I went to France the first time on the 30th anniversary of D-Day in 1974. Uh, so Normandy is a big deal for me. Uh, and I grew up with people who had been in Normandy. Some of my father's friends never talked about it. The stoicism of that greatest generation. So I feared I would be a coward. And in the end, I was not. Uh, and I survived. And I would learn how to endure pain greater than anything I'd ever felt. And that, that is what really brought me to my Savior, Jesus Christ, when I understood in that cell afterwards how much pain he had endured how hundreds of times more than anything I had gone through, and he had done it for me. Hmm. So how did that happen in, in a Lebanese cell? Did somebody give you a New Testament? I mean, what happened? No, no, I was brought up as a Christian, and I had never really abandoned my faith, but, but being oh, born see. again, okay. so that being was, born again is, a, is, a very, is something very, very special and something I was not prepared so let for. So let me offer you an interesting thought, if I can describe any of my own thoughts as interesting, but I think, I, think, I think this is. We have a name for Jew hatred. We have a name for Muslim hatred. Have you ever reflected on the fact that there's no name for Christian hatred? I've seen Christian hatred all across yes, the Middle Yes, that's East. the point. It's the most, I, it is the most ubiquitous religious hatred in the world today. Hatred of Christians. And there's no word for it. And it's very real. You see it on college campuses. 
You see it on CNN. Uh, you see it all across the national media. But you're right. There is no specific word. It, it, we use the term religious side for what's happening in Iraq. The, the, yes. By the way. Not Christian side. Yeah. Well, it just it's another proof at how the left has controlled language. That the you know there there are names for the and for antipathy to other religions, but not the greatest antipathy that that existed. I'm saying this as a Jew, as a as a committed Jew, but I, I am I'm as committed to truth as I am to my faith. My faith demands I be committed to truth. Christians are the most ubiquitous targets of hatred. I mean, it's not even reported, or it is on page 17, how many Christians are murdered regularly in, in West Africa, for example. I was just thinking that, Nigeria, right? Yes, it's like a non-issue. You know, you know, Dennis, I was going to write a book about the persecution of the church called Blood of the Martyrs uh, in 2008, 2010. I had published a number of bestsellers in New York, and my agent uh, shopped the book around. He said, nobody cares. Nobody is interested. So eventually I wrote it as a as a novel, and the novel is called Isis Begins, and it follows an Iraqi Christian interpreter in northern Iraq being chased by jihadi Muslims. But you're right. This is something that the so-called mainstream couldn't care less about. We'll talk about uh, Iraq in a moment, and the rest is history. The book, Kenneth Timmerman, up at DennisPrager.com. I'm back with Kenneth Timmerman, and the rest is history. It's his stories of covering the world and some very difficult places, and he's relentlessly interesting. Interesting, by the way, Prager Theory number 8553 uh, is that is the root of all successful communication. It sounds obvious, but it isn't to most people. Remember your boring teachers at college or your (laughs) your boring clergymen? Anyway, he's relentlessly interesting. So, you uh, you've been to Iraq. So, two questions, biggies. Did he have WMD, and was the war right or a mistake? Uh, yes, he had WMD, and yes, the war was right. Uh, and I'm not afraid to say that. I get criticized by many of my conservative friends and colleagues for saying that. They call me a neocon. I'm not a neocon at this point. I was actually on Trump's National Security and Foreign Policy Advisory Board in 2016. And I disagreed with Donald Trump about that. Uh, But I know he had WMD because, number one, I personally met and interviewed the heads of his chemical weapons program, of his ballistic missile program, uh, and of his uranium enrichment program. So these were real people. These were people that I searched out, found in Iraq, and ultimately was allowed to interview before the first Gulf War in 1990, 1991. So I knew what he had at that point. My book, The Death Lobby, which, and by the way, this book of mine now, this book about my my life as a journalist does not kind of recap all of my investigations, but I do have to kind of mention a couple of things. And I did a book called The Death Lobby about how the West armed Iraq. And on the back of that back cover, there's a map of Iraqi weapons plants. Uh, and I was tracking sales of equipment into those weapons plants. Well, I turned that information over to the U.N., to Rolf Achaeus in particular, who was the head of the U.N. Special Commission for uh, investigating Iraq's uh, weapons. And he called it our Bible, that it helped the U.N. inspectors to find 
Iraq's weapons of mass destruction and to eliminate what they could. Now, 2003, did he still have them? He had many things left. He did not have the same quantity and scope of equipment Why? That he had did he destroy it or ship it elsewhere? No, it had been, well, both. It, it, it was destroyed by the UN. Some things were destroyed. Some were shipped to Syria. And we know that because there were U.S. satellite photographs that were actually aired by the head of the uh, National Geographical Spatial In uh, Agency, General Clapper. It was General Clapper who revealed that, that they had photos, satellite photos, of weapons being loaded from Saddam's plants, put in convoys of trucks, and going into Syria and being buried in the desert. So we know that he had precursors. We know that he had a thousand tons of uranium. And the so reason none of this was found? It was found, Dennis. That is the true scandal. It was found by American inspectors in 2003, 2004, 2005. And Karl Rove explained this after the 2004 election. He was asked, why didn't you tell the world about this? Why didn't you tell the American public? And he said, we'd lost the battle of public opinion. There is no point in relitigating it, in, in refighting it. But yes, they had found it. Yes, they published it. And the media completely ignored it, including the 2007 sale of a thousand tons of uranium by the new government of Iraq to Canada. Wow. I I was told I asked the same question. Uh, why didn't the Bush administration defend what it did? And he said that was our biggest mistake. Yes. But th that's like saying. I can't even think of an appropriate analogy, but it's sort of like saying to a pitcher, uh, why did you keep throwing uh, over the catcher's head? Yeah, that, that was my biggest mistake. A pitcher was supposed yeah. to pitch in the strike zone. To say that it was a big mistake not to defend your policies, you wonder what kind of ineptitude dominated. Can you explain that? Uh, well, what I can explain is the extent of the deep state assault on George W. Bush. They went after Reagan, too, but they really went after George W. Bush. He didn't understand what was happening. He was undermined by his own CIA. He was undermined by his own State Department. And, of course, what people didn't understand the way that they do today after Trump, they didn't understand that these shadow warriors inside the U.S. government were actually just the flip side of the national media. So you had the national media and the shadow warriors on the inside working together to undermine the policies of the President of the United States. When did you know there was a deep state? Uh, I understood it first in France when I was, uh, when, when the, the French tried to declare me persona non grata in <laughs> 30 years ago, 19, 1992. And I learned uh, ultimately. Uh, they had 500 million reasons to try to kick me out as a journalist because I had uh, sabotaged a deal they were trying to make to buy a U.S. weapons uh, firm because I had taken a picture at the Baghdad arms fair showing that they were violating U.S. export uh, controls. But that was the first thing in France. But later on, uh, it was the Bush administration, Bush uh, 40, 43, that really showed me this in spades. I wrote a book called Shadow Warriors about it. The CIA, the State Department, the national media combined together to undermine a Republican president of the United States. And it was crystal clear to me at that point. What is the end of these people in, in the deep state? Let's just 
keep it in the intelligence community. Is it ideological leftism or just power? Um, it's a bit of both, uh, but power is tremendously important. Old boy networks are tremendously important. A lot of this began, especially in the CIA, uh, during covert operations when you would have covert budgets, undisclosed budgets, and money sloshing around in quantities unimaginable. Arms deals done on the black market or the gray market with kickbacks to people at the agency and other U.S. government agencies who had their foreign bank accounts, their secret stashes around the world. And everybody was protecting everybody else. So a lot of All it right. had to do... Back in, back in a moment, Kenneth Timmerman and the rest is history. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Okay, everybody. Final segment with Kenneth Timmerman, with whom I could speak for many hours. He's a legendary journalist and... A relentlessly interesting book of his just published, and the rest is history. Kenneth Timmerman, it's up at DennisPrager.com. So you supported the uh, the the war in Iraq, and so here's the sixty-four thousand. I don't know what the currency in Iraq is, but that's what I would have used. Dinar. The dinar. Okay, the sixty-four thousand dinar question is at this moment. Not then, not before, but as of this moment, is America and the world better off because of the war in Iraq? Uh, the Americans are better off, the Iraqis are better off, and Iraq's neighbors are better off. Saddam Hussein is no longer a threat to Israel or to other neighbors around him. He's not uh, building weapons of mass destruction. He's not threatening people with missile strikes. And you have a weak, divided government in Baghdad in many ways are oftentimes uh, infiltrated or controlled by Iran, but not completely so. You have a surprising story today of Muqtada Sadr, who everybody thought was an Iranian puppet. Now he is standing up to the Iranians. So Iraq is no longer a threat. How is uh, uh, Sadr standing up to Iran? Uh, he had a recent meeting uh, with the new head of the Quds Force, the overseas terrorist arm of the Revolutionary Guards Corps, where he essentially blew him off. He said, I am not going to jo join a pro-Iranian government. My deputies are nationalist members of parliament, and we are going to support nationalists. So now, you're telling me that th this imam is, is an Iraqi before a Shiite? Yes. Uh, he's an Iraqi Shiite, and he wore Arab clothing when he went to meet the head of the Quds Force, precisely to tell him, I am an Arab first and a Shiite second. Wow. That, that's big time. I, I, would not, I would not have predicted that. Do the Palestinians have any idea of how much the Iranians have helped Israel diplomatically? <laughs> <laughs> the, the Palestinian leadership, Dennis, as you know very well, is so extraordinarily corrupt. Uh, and uh, you have parts of the Palestinians who are supported by Iran. But I reported in my book of meeting ordinary Palestinians, not just in Beirut as a hostage, but later on in the West Bank and later after that in Syria and other places. And the PLO was a terrorist organization first and foremost against Palestinians. I don't know how many... Palestinians I met in the West Bank who told me, 
oh, don't say this, don't take notes, do not record this, but we do not want to be under Arafat's control. We would rather be under Israeli control because at least then when we have a problem, we can go to court. Yeah, how many uh, Arabs in Israel have moved out of Israel to the West Bank or to Jordan? Is the number zero or three? Uh, it, it might be two. <laughs> yes, okay, that's fair. It's, you, you, uh, you have seen a lot of this. So, in a nutshell, I asked you this earlier. You said your book is not about, about this, which I appreciate, but I care about your opinion. What has happened to the profession of journalism? Well, journalists have become, unfortunately, uh, surrogates of the Democrat Party. We have a partisan, for the most part, we have a partisan press in the United States. Yes, there are Republican uh, news outlets, but overwhelmingly, this so-called mainstream media, the people I used to work for, I used to work for the New York Times. I worked for CBS News. I worked for ABC News. I wrote, I, I wrote for Newsweek. I wrote for Time Magazine. All of those publications have now become part of the communications directorate of the Democrat National Committee. It's a crime. It is truly a crime. It is difficult to commit journalism in America today. Was journalism honorable during the Vietnam War? Um, I, I think it was. I disagree with people like Mike Wallace, and I put a tweet up about that, and I did shows with Mike Wallace as well at 60 Minutes, but he said if I were in a position where, uh, you know, reporting with the Viet Cong and they told me about an upcoming attack on Americans, I would say nothing to save the Americans. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. You can see in my book, I was tested about that. And I helped the United States when my country was going to war and I had information that would help them. I also helped Israel at a point to to try to recover a hostage, something I personally felt very, very deeply about. I got to be friends with Uri Lubrani, who is a uh, legend uh, 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 among Israelis, um, a great man who died a few years ago. But we tried to get a hostage, Ron Arad, out of captivity. Yeah, yeah. We failed. The book is, and the rest of history, Ken, it's great to uh, to be with you again. Thank you, Dennis. It's a pleasure. Thank you. The book is up at DennisPrager.com. He is truly... He is as wise as he is interesting. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.